I'm not telling a story. No. No. The family's getting worried they have a train to catch. So we're going to keep it moving. Um, understandable. <laughs> Never any pressure in the Elfenbein house. Um, I know you want your ice cream, Mom. <laughs> Mom, please come up. Please give it for my mother, Margie Galfenbein. Well, you're going to tell a little story. So if you guys look up on the screen, that is not Joan Jett. Um, what? I said I was so young You there. still are, Mom. So get close to the mic, please. So that is um, my mom. And my how I've changed. <laughs> and that's me. And what is... The, what, my how you've changed. Yes, I'd say so. And what, what are you feeding me for the very first time? Ice cream. What else? <laughs> it's, a, it's a staple in our family. Yes, so I also, so my mom also, um, so Auntie introduced our family to ice cream cakes, and my mom had a very special way of introducing me to uh, ice cream. So why don't you tell them about that, please? Hmm. And make sure you get close to the mic. Okay. You know, you're a pro. Oh, yeah. Um, I never was an ice cream holic until I became pregnant with Robin. I had had a, um, a digestive problem. And my gynecologist said to me, whatever you do, don't eat late at night, but ice cream, you know, would be good. So every night for nine months, I, ice cream went down. I'm, my digestive tract, you really need to know this, was fine. <laughs> and through the umbilical cord, out came Robin, who loves ice cream. <laughs> in other words, is addicted because she gave it to me in vitro. Right. It is totally your fault that I am completely addicted to ice cream, but I love you for it nonetheless. Well, I'm so glad that we're here. <laughs> Big surprise. Yeah. Um, it's no. The, it's the best food group. Hey, yum's the word, haven't you heard? The yum's the word, it was started by a bird. My name is Robin. And her hair has lots of curls. Actually, I blow it out a lot. True stories, some awkward. Like wetting the bed next to your boyfriend. Pretty funny and absurd. Like your boss tickling your side boob. So welcome all you nerds. And cool people, too. This is for everyone. Except kids. Yum's the word. Hey there, I'm Robin Gelfenbein, creator and host of the show. That was my mom from our four-year anniversary just about a couple weeks ago. Now, she was talking about how she got me addicted to ice cream when I was in utero, not in vitro. Now, to see that picture of my mom and me when she gave me my first taste of what I like to call creamy crack, go to yumstheworldshow.com slash podcast. Now, since we just celebrated our four-year anniversary on today's episode, we want to feature stories from one of our most popular shows that happened back in 2013. The theme of the night was one of my very favorite themes. It was Chubby Hubby, stories from married couples, because we always do themes inspired by ice cream at the show. And on today's show, you are going to hear stories from Vanessa Shilly Younger and Rick Younger. They are married to each other. In this first story, Vanessa tells us about the first time she met Rick's parents and how they put her to the test. I think that meeting your significant other's parents for the first time 
is always an important milestone. And for me, it was especially important because uh, my husband and I were in an interracial relationship. You're going to meet him in a little while. Uh, my husband is a black man, and I'm a white woman. <laughs> um, so uh, where we live in New York City, and we think of ourselves as open-minded, we're surrounded by all this diversity, and we certainly look at each other with no prejudice or stereotype. I really wasn't at all sure that my parents would have the same attitude about it. I wasn't sure that they wouldn't. I just really couldn't remember my parents mentioning anything about race at all. It was like I had amnesia about it. But my parents were in their late 70s. They're white, obviously. Um, they, they spent a, a large part of their life living in the Deep South in Georgia. And whereas yeah. I never heard them say, you know, any slurs or anything, you know, I, I would frequently, you know, my parents would come out, like my dad would say stuff like, you know that Harry Potter? I think that's leading all those children to witchcraft. <laughs> Stuff like that. So like it really steeped in the past, you know what I mean? This kind of like set way of thinking. You know, my mother doesn't know how to check her email. I have to call her and talk her through, take the mouse and click the link, that I, you know. Um, so that's my parents. So I was apprehensive. So my attitude was, let's just get this out, of, out in the open as soon as possible. I'd rather, I don't want to delay, I don't want to, you know, lie by omission, I want to just get it out there. So my parents were coming, you know, came to visit. We had been dating for, I don't know, probably four or five months, but we were officially, you know, together. So I set up a meeting at the Neptune Diner in Astoria. <laughs> um, so there we are, we're having breakfast. And, you know, everyone was on really good behavior. And my parents were, Seeming, you know, my mother likes to ask a lot of questions. It's just her way. You know, she's asking questions, and my father's nodding and smiling. And so then our food comes, and Rick offers to pray for our food. And if you couldn't tell from that Harry Potter comment, my parents were like, whoa. So, yeah. so Rick, you know, we, we hold hands and bow our heads, and, you know, Rick starts to pray, and he comes out with, Gracious and most powerful heavenly father. This is nothing I have heard. <laughs> Who are you? But whatever, because it's absolutely working. My parents were thrilled. They were just loving this. And I mean, that just sealed it. At that point on, he was amazing. He was the best person I had ever dated. They were completely enthralled with him. So much so that Constantly, my parents were looking for like other things that he did. They're like, my dad's like, you know, I bet, I bet he can sing too, can he? <laughs> yeah, Dad, Rick does sing. Well, you know, all black people they can sing. Dad, <laughs> can't say those things. Please just don't say those things, okay? You know, and he would then kind of, in, in his most loving way, be like, well, you know, Vanessa. I've always loved black people. <laughs> In the grand scheme of what I feared and where we were, this was actually a good place to be. Like, I could work with that. We could, through the years, we could deal with that. Uh, but you know, it had gone so much better than my worst fears that I felt like, oh my goodness, this is—we're home free. We're set. Now all I have to do is meet Rick's parents, and I already felt like I knew Rick's parents because he talked about them all the time. 
Um, they're super, super close. Rick's from Baltimore, and so New York and Baltimore is only like a two and a half hour train ride. So he would go home to Baltimore like twice a month at that point. Um, and he has a huge family. They're super, super close. It's, both of his parents are children of like nine siblings, and they all had a million kids, and all those kids, they all live in Baltimore, and they all see each other all the time. So they love each other, and they talk about each other, and Rick talks about them. So I knew these people, and I knew they were going to love me. <laughs> so I was ready to meet them. I'm like, let's bring it on. Let's go. We have, you know, the difficult one was out of the way. I am all set to meet your family. So, you know, some months go by, and we hit our year anniversary, and we're serious about each other, and I still hadn't met his parents. So I start to ask, you know, hey, I, I, I feel like I should meet your parents, especially since you see them so often. I, you know, I, I think it's time for that. What I get from Rick is, hmm. <laughs> Rick has this way when he doesn't want to talk about something, he just kind of ignores. You know, he just doesn't even acknowledge that that has come up in conversation at all. And truthfully, you know, I was nervous to meet them, so I was pretty willing to be put off a little bit for a while. After a, more time went by, I, you know, and this happened over and over again, I started to question it, like, what, what is going on? Yeah, I, I keep asking to meet his parents, I keep getting this no reaction. <laughs> so what could it possibly be? I don't, I mean, you know, I, I'm younger than he is, maybe they would have a problem with a younger woman. <laughs> no. I mean, the Christian thing worked, but, oh, I'm not Baptist. Maybe that's what it, <laughs> Oh, I know. I figured it out. I can't believe I didn't see this before. Rick has a Baltimore girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, I became convinced that Rick had a Baltimore girlfriend. <laughs> that was the reason that I had not been invited home to meet his family, and I was obsessed with it. Baltimore girlfriend, he got outraged and defensive and horrified that I asked about the Baltimore girlfriend, which convinced me that he indeed had. So I decided I would absolutely put it to the test. Thanksgiving was coming up, and I made no Thanksgiving plans. And I let him know for weeks that I had no plans. I was gonna be alone for Thanksgiving. No plans, because I thought, surely, he is not gonna let his girlfriend, who he claims he's so serious about, and everything be alone. This is gonna be it, right? I mean, come on, this is it. So Thanksgiving comes around, and I'm sitting on the couch in my Astoria apartment with a Swanson Frozen TV dinner, alone, furious, and I was like, this is it. So I had a, you know, I came up with a new plan. Rick got back from Thanksgiving, I marched him over to my computer, my desktop computer, and I used my landline to log on to the internet, and after it took, you know, about five minutes, I showed him the eHarmony profile that I had created over Thanksgiving. And I was like, you know, if you're not serious enough about me to let me meet your parents, I'm interested in finding someone that is. So this was my little, you know, whatever. <laughs> Two weeks later, I was on the train, headed to Baltimore, and I was completely 
then you kind of realize, oh, now I won. Oh, now I have to meet his parents. <laughs> so I was curious to meet his parents because that's, you know, it's a nerve-wracking thing. So we get to Baltimore and we go into Rick's parents' house and they're kind of oddly standing at attention. <laughs> and uh, but I'm really excited to meet them. I already knew these people, so I go up to Rick's mother and I'm like, oh, this is younger. I'm so glad to meet you. I've heard so much about you. warm, cozy, you know, pop-up, right? So he's like, where are you from, girl? And I said, oh my goodness, well, I'm originally from Oklahoma City. I grew up my whole life there. But, you know, right now I live in New York City. That's where I met Rick. But before that, I lived in, in Georgia for a few years. And he was like, oh my goodness, this girl can talk. Marion, you heard this girl talk? Ask one question, she's in here flapping her lips. brother's house. He lives about 45 minutes away. And Rick's, with Rick's parents, you get in the car and no one talks in the car. Like, no one speaks. His father plays country western music. Okay? And I'd already been accused of lip flapping, so I was not going to say a word. So we sat there, totally silent, until we get to Rick's brother's house. So we get to Rick's brother's house, Rick's brother has set up in the living room a professional karaoke system because everyone in Rick's family sings. <laughs> this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I, something about my parents I didn't mention is my mother was an opera singer and a professor of voice, so I had a thing about singing when I was a kid. My sister and I, she used to line our, my sister and I up in front of the piano. Anytime company came over, we had to sing Edelweiss. <laughs> yeah, my mother would coach from the keyboard. She'd be like, sing from your diaphragm, girls. You know, stuff like that. So I have a thing about it. It's like a pathology. I just can't sing. I mean, I'm not, I'm a horrible, but I'm not a singer anyway, but I just, like, I freeze up my throat, you know. So I have this, like, dread. I am going to be asked to sing, and I'm going to not seem like a team player if I don't sing karaoke. And I'm, so the whole, I'm just, I'm worried. All of a sudden, I'm worried. I'm freaking out. I'm trying to muster up courage to be like Cameron Diaz and my best friend's wedding, where everyone applauds her spirit, even though she can't sing at all. And, you know, so I'm just really worried and caught up in it. And I must have looked worried, despite my efforts to be really cool, uh, because Rick's father, like, calls out across the living room at me. He's like, hey there, light skin! <laughs> he goes, you're always gonna pull a knife out on you if you don't sing. We ain't those kind of black people. <laughs> 
I breathe this huge sigh of relief because what I really heard is that I didn't have to say <laughs> There was this collective gasp in the room of Rick's family. And they all were just so apologetic and they come, came over to me and they're like, I'm so sorry that he said that. Please just don't pay any attention to him, you know. And while these, you know, mostly the women, of course, are coming over to me, I kind of was just in this zone where I had this epiphany. I am the only white person here. <laughs> I, I am the first white person that anyone has brought home. The reason Rick didn't want to bring me home is because I'm white. <laughs> and it was like, this odd, you know, this kind of realization that I had that honestly was the first of many realizations that I've had in the 10 years that we've been together that despite all of my best efforts to be this kind of person who doesn't judge situations or people based on assumptions that I've heard from other, you know, the media and movies and TV and blah, 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 that I am that person. And that d despite everything that I want to be, I'm sometimes not that person, and maybe that person doesn't even exist, except when our vanity tells us that we are that person, and we have a, lot, a long way to go. So it was this big epiphany moment that I had uh, when I met Rick's parents that I've continued to have for the past 10 years. And I'm sorry. <laughs> that was Vanessa Shaley Younger. Now, I don't want to brag, but my favorite karaoke song is Pat Benatar's Love is a Battlefield. We are young, heartache to heartache, we stand. It's always a crowd pleaser. You can find Vanessa on Twitter at Vanessa S.Y. Now, as I mentioned, Yum's the Word just celebrated our four-year anniversary. And that night, we had a special guest who is very near and dear to my heart. Let's please welcome to the stage, Auntie. No, no. Thank you. You all right? Okay. All right, we're, your pocketbook isn't going anywhere. Oh, gosh, but you might be. All right, you all right? <laughs> she didn't even have a drink. Can you guys see her? Okay. All right, say, say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so um, I wanted to ask you if you could tell everybody what your favorite Yiddish word is, one of your favorites, or actually as many as you want. No, no, oh, God, I should have brought my book. Here, hold, um, hold up to your... Mensch. I love the word mensch. You tell, know, tell the but they, boys in the room what that means. A mensch is someone you don't have to ask him to do anything. He's already done it. He knows exactly. <laughs> And the other one I like is um, chutzpah. What does the that mean? The chutzpah is nerve. But if somebody made you mad, Oy. what would you say? Gay cock enough and yum. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. Gay cock enough and yum. And, but you see, Yiddish. She's clearly not a performer. I'm like, I'm going to shove this microphone down your throat. <laughs> Then I won't be able to talk. I know, but no one can hear you. I'll hold it. You talk. Okay. Go. Gay cock and nothing young is something my grandmother always said. And the literal translation is go shit in the ocean. 
Keeping it classy. Say it to someone, you just want to get rid of them. Okay, cock and effing young. That's right. So what's like your shortened version of saying it? Gay uh, cockin'. Yeah. But you usually go like, ah, gay cockin'. No. But the other one I like too, what we say to each other before we go on the trip all the time is, oh my God, wait a minute. Gay gesund. Gay gesund. For gesund. Come gesund. Go in good health, be in good health, come home in good health. Awesome. That's a good one. All right, so I'm just going to ask you a couple of these questions really quickly. These are from the audience, Auntie. Here's a question. I don't know who put it down. If any two men were going to fight a duel over you, which two men would you want it to be and who would win? I'm already going to predict one of these guys. You can definitely predict men. I don't care who the two are. Billy Crystal is my favorite man in this world. I love that man. His ego is fabulous. He's so together. He knows who he is. He's short. And he loves the Yankees, and I'm a real Yankee fan. Well, Auntie, I've got great news for you. Billy Crystal's here tonight. I'm just kidding. Okay. (laughs) What'd you say? I wish he were. Yeah. Um, Okay. All right, I'm going to just do one more, because I know you have to catch a train. Yes, you do. I know, I know. I love you, too, Auntie. Oh, somebody wants to know, what's your number? (laughs) Which number? Your phone number, I think. <laughs> Go ahead. My phone number, I don't, I don't give those out. I'm that out. Seven numbers, no way. Why not? <laughs> Somebody might call me. <laughs> Isn't that the point? I know. No. All right. Um, okay, let me just check this last one, and then I think we're going to have to rock and roll here. Okay. Oh. What is one wild thing you wish you had done when you were younger but didn't? God, I did an awful lot of things, let me tell you. <laughs> what, 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 what didn't I do? I don't know. I've done everything I wanted to do. Well, no, it's not really wild, though, so I can't really think. Because I've been on trips. I didn't have my own children. That's something I would have done. I'm sorry, everybody. Don't cry. I got Robin. I have Robin and her sisters. I love you, too. Thanks you. for being here, Auntie. I love you. I love you. Give it for Auntie! Now, we've been featuring Auntie's Yiddish at the end of every episode, so make sure you listen all the way through and be sure to listen to past episodes as well. Now, I've got great news. I am taking Auntie to see Billy Crystal this fall, so stay tuned because I will most certainly report back. It's definitely going to be the plots heard around the world. Now for our second and final story, we're going to hear from Rick Younger and get his take on dating Vanessa and his impressions of her family. When Vanessa first told me her story, uh, I was like, thank you for making them think that you're married to a family of black assholes. (laughs) She said it went swimmingly. It wasn't so much that I knew so much about white people going into it, but I did know church people. So I was like, I just pray. I prayed about everything. I said, Dear Lord, bless these biscuits. Get up into the eggs, Jesus. But it was like, it was a great thing because uh, 
relationship that I had with my father-in-law has, has been a been. It, I don't even know the right word to really call it per se, but um, I found out pretty early on that I was his window into blackness. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and because I realized that you know, here's the thing. Me and Vanessa, our marriage, I like to call it a racial exchange program. <laughs> I say that because I am the example of a real black person married to a real white woman. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, you should see our wedding pictures. It's me and my black groomsmen, her and her white bridesmaids. <laughs> I'm from Baltimore. That's right, you've seen Wire, Homicide, like this. Baltimore's like 80% black. It's like, and she's from Oklahoma. Get off the plane, go visit our family. I, my feet hit the ground. Black population rises by 100%. <laughs> so before we got together, we had like this monolithic experience when it came to race. So you know, it, we're constantly learning things. And one of the most profound things that Vanessa ever told me, it, it really took me aback when I first heard it. But she, you know, I was probably complaining about white people for some reason. Because <laughs> we do that, black folks, we complain about y'all. <laughs> 40 years in the mule, we think we can complain about white people whenever the hell we want to. So I was probably complaining about white people, and she just stopped and said, Ricky, I don't know how to tell you this, but white people, we're really not thinking about you guys that much. <laughs> 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 but then I thought about it, it makes sense, you know? Because black folks, we need you, white people, we need you. For like jobs, you know, uh, character references, things like that. We <laughs> really need us, per se, and that's really frustrating, you know, and that's why we get so pissed off at you guys, but it's like, being in my marriage, I get to see this firsthand, because it's like my father-in-law, it's like, this is his first chance to talk to a black person and get some good information without somebody getting mad at him for asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, I remember when I watched the movie The Great Debaters, and he's like, the next day we were eating breakfast, and he's like, you're so rich. How did watching a movie like that make? <laughs> like, well, you know, um, I mean, it's hard to watch some of these things, but I like to watch, you know, stuff like that, like Black History Month this month. I just get bombarded with all kinds of stuff about my history, just so I can be just remember, you know, because I'm like, I see that, and I'm like, if they didn't get, you know, reach the levels that they reached back then with that type of oppression, I figure I could do anything. So it's inspiring to me. He's like, you know, oh my goodness, that's very interesting to hear. You know, it, it started when I first decided that I was going to do the right thing and ask for his permission to marry Vanessa. I wanted this blessing. So I called him to ask him to marry Vanessa. And he was like, Ricky, I'm very, very honored that you would ask my permission. He's from Oklahoma and Georgia, so he talks slowly. <laughs> Before I answer, I'd like to share a story. <laughs> when Vanessa was a young girl, I took her and her sister to the toy store, and they saw a basketball. Oh and those girls decided they wanted that basketball. I did not want to buy 
and that basketball. <laughs> so I came up with a competition. I said to the girl, I said, girls, if either one of you is able to make a shot on one try, I would buy the basketball. Figuring they would not be able to make the shot. So Vanessa's older sister Jocelyn went first and she shot and she missed. <laughs> so now it's Vanessa's go. And Vanessa goes and with one shot, she makes it all net. So I bought that basketball. Because I was convinced that Vanessa had a gift to play basketball. <laughs> talking about things we don't really talk about race <clears throat> so we are in a relationship where we really get to honestly share with each other about race and Vanessa early on in our relationship she learned to trust my black spidey senses <laughs> black folks we have black spidey senses that's that ability to know when something is racial <laughs> I've been black long enough. When I say something crazy, you should trust me on this. <laughs> we learned this early on in our relationship because early in our relationship, we lived about a block away from each other. And one night, I was going to visit Vanessa. And as I was going to visit Vanessa, I turned the corner to go to her house. When a night, I had one black coat, black skull cap, I'm scarfed up, everything. I turned the corner, there's a white woman in front of me. I scared. <laughs> so I once again reverted to my church upbringing and I started to pray. I was like, dear God, please don't let this white woman turn around. Because I knew it wasn't going to turn out well if she did. But to show that God has a sense of humor, that woman turned around at that very moment that I uttered that prayer. <laughs> she looked at me and her eyes got huge. And she turned around and started doing that really, you know, fast run walking thing. It's not, you know, kind of like it wasn't really running because it didn't qualify. It around at all times. But she was really kind of running. Like, I'm like, oh, dear God, please don't let me catch up with this white woman. And I'm like, whoa, but I'm taller than her. So I'm gaining on her. It's like I'm, you know, like, I'm like fulfilling her greatest zombie apocalypse black nightmare. And she is like, you know, just eventually just gets so scared, so she just runs into the doorway of an apartment. That's obviously not hers. And I can see him, and it took all of me not to reach there, just, just screaming at, Look, lady, I'm going to go see a white woman. It's just not you. So I get to Vanessa's apartment, and I mean, you know, as much as we hear, you know, we have that whole stereotype about the angry black man, a lot of times the angry black man is just a, a defense mechanism because when those types of things happen, it hurts. And 
Like I was hurt. I was so upset. I was like, Vanessa, I can't believe it. On my way over here, I just gave the hell of a white woman. My <laughs> <laughs> mere black existence. <laughs> I don't know if that was racial. <laughs> because I'm a woman and when I'm out at night and I and I see a man, it doesn't matter if he's black or white, I become afraid. I was like, yeah, but she was running down the street going, please nigga, don't kill me, please don't kill me. So you're probably trying to figure out what is my point with all of this. <laughs> I'm trying to also. <laughs> no, but really my point is, is that, um, like Vanessa said, we grew up in a type of uh, childhood uh, where we were both raised in the church. And part of growing up in church is that you pray for your future spouse. So we both grew up. Like basically making a checklist, You're like this is what I want in a in a spouse. So when I was growing up, I had all these this checklist. Like, oh, I want somebody who is a team player, someone who's on my side, you know, someone who I can depend upon. Who, you know, we think the same way, and we have you know share so many things. And and uh, as I'm dating Vanessa, I'm checking all the things off the list. But then I realized that the reason I'm not really pulling, you know, that it's taking so long for me to, to make these decisions, like, okay, man, let's take her home and meet the parents, uh, let's go ahead and buy a ring, let's go. Because I was like, this woman is great. As soon as I find a black woman with all these qualities, that's gonna be the one. And then I realized, I was like, oh my goodness, God does have a sense of <laughs> and I realized that the person I've been praying for was right there all along. She has a, 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 a nice ass, so that's <laughs> a prayers. <laughs> and she is a wonderful, beautiful white woman, and I love her to death. Isn't that such a sweet story? And Rick and Vanessa have the cutest little boy named Rory. You can see pictures of him and follow Rick on Twitter at Rick Younger. And you can see videos of Auntie at yumstheworldshow.com slash Auntie. Now, she doesn't know it yet, but our next show falls the day after Yom Kippur. We are going to have a night of Jewish storytellers, and we are calling it Yom's The Word, naturally. You are going to hear stories from Josh Gondelman, who's a writer for Last Week Tonight with John Oliver, Peter Gross, who you may know from Veep, and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, and so many more. That is Thursday, September 24th at 7.30 at Le Poisson Rouge here in New York City. And you can get tickets at yumsthewordshow.com. Hope to see you there for stories, Mad Libs, and a piece of one of my homemade ice cream cakes. The stories you just heard were recorded live at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The podcast is produced by me, Robin Gelfenbein, and Alex Fulton, who also wrote some of the music. Special thanks to Vince Fairchild, Megan Deneen, Michael Cedar, Danny Artis, Auntie, and of course, my mom. The theme song is by Mark Radcliffe. Thanks for listening. I'm Robin Gelfenbein, and until next time. Gay cock and yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Go shit in the ocean. Yum's the word. Cake.